Today, our uh, PDCast is all about inquiry-based learning. And with us today are... Jen Anderson. Kevin Fairchild. Elizabeth Armstrong. And I am Kathleen Schaefer. Um, we'd like to start today by just, you know, telling the definition of inquiry-based learning. And, and basically, it's a, a process of where students are involved in their learning. They're creating essential questions. They're investigating and, and building new understanding and, and knowledge, and then using that knowledge to answer their essential questions. But it's all a, a cycle, and um, there's a lot of pieces to it. Um, I look at, at it as putting the student in the center, and the teacher is more of a facilitator. But there are, there are levels. You know, you can't just throw kids into inquiry without any training or prep. So you start off really being in control as the teacher and then slowly let go. It's ironic that we're doing a non-inquiry way of introducing inquiry. We should we should actually pause and let everyone in the audience figure out inquiry for themselves, right? We should do an inquiry method here, right? We should ask them what they already know. Or listen to this sound and see what it reminds you of or makes you wonder about. What do you think about that? And then what questions do you still have? But there's no way for us to do that in a podcast. So here we go. So here we go. We, we learn a lot about uh, the inquiry mindset um, from the book titled Inquiry Mindset by Trevor McKenzie and Rebecca Bathurst Hunt. It's more geared toward elementary, but he's also written a book called Dive Into Inquiry, and that is more for secondary teachers. He is a secondary teacher of English. And Rebecca is a kindergarten teacher. So why should we use inquiry in the classroom? Well, as we know, times are changing and teachers standing in front of the classroom professing what they know um, isn't quite working with the kids of today. And um, they're not engaged and um, they don't remember. So making it inquiry-based and more relevant to them uh, they're more likely to remember what they learn, and um, they are doing most of the heavy lifting. I think it provides a higher level of commitment for our students when you are, you know, we always talk about activating prior knowledge, but I think that's one of the areas a lot of teachers stop after that instead of going through the whole process. But as you connect to students and they connect to what they're doing, you're going to get that high level of engagement and that high level of commitment from them. I agree. I agree. And, and and truly, when you have 30, 35 kids in a classroom, they all know different things. And they can, they can teach each other a lot of the time. Um, you know, it's just you can't just rely on the teacher to give all the information anymore. Absolutely. I always talked about the different levels that we all have, different skill levels in the classroom. You know, some students are better writers and some students are better speakers and some students are better note takers and better tech, you know, students or whatever. And so we always talked about sort of that level and this brings everybody onto that, onto that line um, and can share their knowledge. And that's really powerful in a classroom to have students share with each other what their skill level is and their knowledge is of something. One of the things they talk about is honoring the students' curiosities. Mm -hmm. 
And it has that, again, as Kevin was saying, it's that student-centered, it's driven by them. And I know that Kathleen always shares that in her presentations, in her small groups, how it is really tapping into something that they're interested in or curious about or wonder. And right then, it empowers the students to take some responsibility for their learning. What tools am I going to use to get there? Um, I like how it talks about the inquiry student. They capture, they reflect, and they share. So again, it's that shift that we've been talking about, how inquiry is driven and how you just said he's an English teacher and Elizabeth's a former secondary English teacher. So it's not curriculum so much as grade level based or subject based. The inquiry um, techniques and strategies can be used in any area of the curriculum in any grade level. And and there are situations where you're you are as a teacher you're constrained to your your subject you have to get something particular across you can't it, there are times when you can let students discover their own passions what they want to learn about are there other times that they have to learn this they have to learn a particular thing even with that um, when i was teaching high school physics i did it in an inquiry based way and there, there's a lot of subtlety to it, but the big idea is just taking away the answer at the beginning of the activity. We don't say, today you're going to learn that energy is conserved and then do a lab that does that shows them that energy is conserved and then they're like, oh, look, Fairchild was right. That's not the point. The point is, what do we know about energy what do we learn about it through through this this activity? They do the activity and they come to the conclusion that energy is conserved. So I, I used to, when, when I would do parent nights, I would tell uh, the parents that I was teaching in an inquiry-based way because I wanted students to reach conclusions about the natural world from their experiment, not because they listened to me. Yeah. Um, so I had a very different job than standing and talking to them or mm -hmm. describing things to them or telling them. My job was to guide them through an inquiry activity. So even if it's not something that the kids necessarily would choose to study on their own, you can still do it in an inquiry-based way. Yes, I think um, the responsibility of the teacher in an inquiry-based learning setting is is they just it has to be a safe place. Mm -hmm. So um, open-ended questions, kids, you know, can't be afraid to answer. Certain, you know, it has to be um, a place to answer things safely and without being shut down. What kinds of things, Kathleen, um, do you set up in a classroom to have that sense of inquiry be? a daily routine. So are there things that you can have ready to go in your room or ideas that you're like, oh, that works perfect with inquiry or? Well, at, you know, as you're planning your units, you know what you're going to do, hopefully a week or two ahead of time. And uh, you would think of what you're going to teach and then have set up, you could set up a center with either artifacts or um, it could be a, a digital activity, and um, you would just ask simple questions like, "What do you What do you already know? What do you think? And what do you What do you want to know? What do you wonder about this?" Before you say one word about the unit, and then you know ahead of time what kids know what, and who could be teaching other kids at this point. 
I was thinking for an elementary classroom, some of the things that you've you've jumped in before, like having a physical wonder wall, like mm. a place where you see those ideas, um, or a journal in secondary, like a curiosity journal or a wonder. You talked about those wonder jars or those corners or curiosity mm-hmm. jars where it kind of can spur or spark that imagination or ideas, maybe guided, like Kevin said, towards a standard or toward a goal, a learning goal, an objective. Right. I mean, you can't have all of the things all of the time, but as long as you, you know, you have one or two of those things, and it's just, it's basically giving the teacher, it's basically a formative assessment, truly, and you're, you're, you're assessing what your kids already know and what they're curious about, so you can jump right in when it's time to teach that unit and you know what kind of, um, uh, what, what they need. Um, can you explain a little bit about the types of student inquiry? I know you were telling me that before. I thought, oh, that was really interesting how... Oh, yes, absolutely. It's really, okay, so it's like scaffolded. So um, Trevor McKenzie, you know, might, you know, he says he might spend a whole semester just um, on the structured type of of inquiry-based learning. So that's the teacher is in in complete control. Students answer some essential questions, but those essential questions really are made up by the teacher at the beginning. It's it's kind of like a whole group lesson where the teacher is guiding the whole time, and the, and the students just get used to, um, I guess the like Kevin was talking about not having the answer ahead of time. Right, right, right. So the total structured one is teachers in complete control, but the the next level is called the controlled inquiry, where teacher chooses the topics and identifies the resources. And students are given more choice of which resources they're going to use and possibly how they're going to show their learning. Um, and then it goes to a more um, guided inquiry where the teacher gives several essential questions. The, the students choose out of those. The student, students select their resources and they select um, how they want to show what they know or how they're going to show their learning. And then the last type, and you don't start with this ever, and you might not even get to it by the end of the year, but it's it's the free inquiry where students construct their own essential questions. Students construct their research sources, and students design their own um, performance tasks. This sounds like it's perfectly suited for project-based learning. I was just going to mention that. It's very similar in that way. The, like the whole scaffolded type of learning and starting with starting with structured and then getting to free it looks a lot different in elementary I think than it would in secondary absolutely um, you take, have to take baby steps mm-hmm. in elementary and they they do need more but he's done amazing things with it in his, his secondary classrooms it sounds really time-consuming looking at it from the secondary perspective I mean we have you know 50-minute class period and you know, we do see the kids five days a week, but you still have that very limited time. Um, but I think one of the things that will help with that, that you just mentioned, you know, at elementary, you really do have to spend a lot more time, I think, on those that first structured way of doing it, maybe even step two. But in a high school setting and a secondary setting, I think you can do that a little bit faster and get kind of to that third and fourth level. But I will say it is super important. I got to the guided level and it was pretty amazing to see what my students were able to come up with. But you do have to do those first two. You can't skip those to save time. Right, right. And um, he he does it in chunks. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't 
do it all day, every day. Right. And um, he works on certain units some years and certain units the other years. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't do it all well one time because it's almost impossible. Absolutely. Just like with anything, you don't yeah. want to do it every day all the time. Absolutely. And that was always a, a struggle that I had in, in doing an inquiry-based science class is that I knew it was going to take me longer. Right. My series and parallel circuit lab took two block periods, so that's four hours. I could have explained it in about 10 minutes maybe. <laughs> but the question is, how much would the kids have learned right. from me explaining it in 10 minutes? And the answer is not much. Right. But in taking that actual time, I, I'm confident mm-hmm. that the students understood more and retained it longer. And that's what research shows as well, is, is that that's, it's a much more effective use of your time, even though it takes longer. Right. And so that was a choice that, that I had to make. And that meant that, it, and honestly, it meant that there were other topics I just couldn't cover at all right. because I chose to cover fewer topics but in more depth. And that's a trade-off. Absolutely. I think one of the things that we all want as teachers is for students to internalize the knowledge and really make it their own, not just regurgitate, you know, what they heard in lecture. And yeah, it definitely takes longer to do a process like this, but I think the product is so much better, so much stronger. I think the teacher also finds a lot out about their students that they would not otherwise know. And if it's just just embedded in the way they teach, I think just the whole classroom culture changes a little bit with inquiry-based learning. So Kathleen, I know that you've you've read both of the the books and it really it really made an impact on you. What what's kind of the what affected you the most in reading both uh, Dive into Inquiry and Inquiry Mindset? What what struck you first? Well, I think as um, a former science teacher, a lot of things were like that I read were, oh yeah, yeah, that that's what. Oh, I did that when I did uh, when I taught science. Oh, I did that one. Oh, you could do this when you teach math. You can do this when you teach social studies. Oh, this would this would work. So it was kind of um, it felt just really natural to me reading about the way he he teaches. It's just you know. Even, you know, we as teachers remember more when we are take ownership of something, when we design our own lesson or um, model something for someone else. We, we just remember more, and um, it's true with kids as well. And they're invested. It plays well with everything we're supposed to be doing in the classroom as teachers, um, allowing kids to collaborate on things, um, dig deeper into certain topics. Those are all things that are done with inquiry-based learning. So it supports a lot of the good pedagogy that we know from other research. It supports all of those different kinds of things that you just mentioned. Absolutely. In, his, in both of his books, he talks about, you know, in a perfect world, they'd start inquiry-based learning in kindergarten and go all the way till uh, 12th grade, and uh, it would completely change education. And we just have to start small. And the beauty with that, just like, you know, a lot of the things that we're doing at the elementary level, as it bubbles up to the secondary level, you know, the secondary teachers won't have to spend as much time on level one, level two type scaffolding because the, the students not only will be prepared to do it, but they'll also be expecting it. And that's what they want to now do. That's how they want to learn. I remember having 
when I would have juniors and seniors and I'd have them do this inquiry stuff, they were like, yeah. what? why? Why? You know the answer. Tell why aren't you telling answer. me? Just tell me. All my other teachers just told me the answer. Why? See, now the beauty with ELA is there isn't always a right answer. Right. And so I didn't, you know, they would say, what do you want, you know, me to say on the test? And I would say, I want you to say what you think. Right. <laughs> it's not wrong. Right. <laughs> yes. I mean, I think we as teachers have kind of conditioned kids mm-hmm. into that way. And now we're trying to pull away from that, the old, the way we learned. Absolutely. Yeah. And thank goodness. Uh-huh. <laughs> so today we talked about uh, inquiry-based learning and uh, in kindergarten all the way through 12th. It's a student-centered, teacher-facilitator, higher-order thinking. This includes topics to be more meaningful to students. It gradually increases student agency over learning while providing learners with necessary skills and knowledge and understanding to be successful in their inquiry. And um, what sparked our interest in this were two great books by Trevor McKenzie. One was Dive Into Inquiry and the other was Inquiry Mindset. I could go on. I know you could. 